Good morning, everyone. My name is Greg Moslick. It's great to be with you all of you. And uh, that's an awesome song. I really like that song. Um, today, we are going to be continuing our series. Hopefully, my PowerPoint pops up. Um, we're going to be continuing the series, and we are looking at um, whether or not Jesus actually died on the cross. There's a uh, lot of debate about that, and the best way to tackle this issue is to um, just go through the entire, well, not the entire, but the highlights of what happened on, with the crucifixion. Now, I was a little bit concerned about this, so I gave this sermon to my wife, and so I could get, you know, one of those movie ratings on it. She says that it's a PG-rated sermon. Uh, I did my best to turn it, tune it down, but if you've got young ears around you, you might want to be aware of that. Um, there's just some things that I have, to, I have to discuss in order to prove that Jesus was, in fact, killed on the cross. There it is. Okay, so the entire idea of whether Jesus died on the cross or not was actually not something that was discussed. Everybody assumed that Jesus did, in fact, die on the cross. It wasn't until perhaps about 600 years later when a guy named Muhammad came out of a cave and said that God told him, among other things, that Jesus survived the cross. And now Muslims believe that everywhere. Lately, it's become more of an issue because the proof regarding the resurrection has become so solid that people are looking back to Jesus' death and thinking, well, maybe he survived the crucifixion. And so, therefore, there was no resurrection that way. So, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at one of the main theories here. And this is called the swoon theory on how Jesus was able to survive the crucifixion. The way this goes is that Jesus just fainted on the cross, and everybody thought he was dead. So they took him down, and they put him in a tomb, and that tomb was cool, and the cold was able to revive him. And then his disciples came along at some point, overpowered the guards, and took Jesus out of there. And that's how he was able to survive. Now, Again, as I mentioned earlier, the best way to uh, refute this and a lot of other theories there are about how Jesus survived is to actually kind of hit the major points of what happened with the crucifixion. And then we can determine, was there enough damage done to Jesus so that we can know today that he was killed? But before we do that, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for all that you provide. We thank you for the gift of your word and the opportunity we get to learn more about you, about ourselves, and about those around us. We ask that today your will be done in all things at all times. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So if we're going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus, one of the first things that we have to talk about are the people doing the crucifying. And that would have been the Roman guards. Now these guys were professional killers. They were unmatched. They were better equipped, better trained, more motivated, and more skilled than anybody out there. And they could pretty much go anywhere they wanted and destroy any country or any opposing force. They were very good at what they did. But now we have the question, how would they have been in a crucifixion situation? Perhaps 
Maybe they were sympathetic to Jesus and they would have been easy on him. Maybe they were apathetic about their job. They didn't really want to be doing this, so they just kind of showed up and, you know, did whatever and then went home. Or maybe they were consistent and they remained the professional killers that they were, and perhaps they were even hostile towards Jesus. Well, in John, we can see that they were actually quite hostile and quite professional in their ability to kill. We can see that they took thorns and put it in Jesus' skull. We can see that they, in another passage, they spit on Jesus, that they mocked him, that they actually took their hands and hit Jesus. This isn't just some bully. This is a sadistic, powerful uh, man. This is the kind of person that's coming down the street. You would do whatever you could to get out of their way because who knows what kind of terrible thing they would do just because they thought it was funny. This is not somebody you want to mess with. So what are some of the things? Well, I mentioned the crown of thorns, of course. That would have caused blood loss. Some other things that they would have done. Uh, as I mentioned, they punched Jesus. Now, was this like one or two guys just kind of punching Jesus and, and giving him a hard time? Or was this perhaps more? We don't know how much damage was done to Jesus with the punching of Jesus. But we do know one thing, and that would help us to understand. We do know how many people there were. There was, according to Matthew 27, 27, a battalion of men around Jesus. This would have been 200 to 600 men allowed to pretty much do whatever they wanted to Jesus. This would have been some serious tormenting. However, they would not have knocked him out. They would have not have knocked him out. They would have not killed him because they still had one thing left to do to Jesus, and that was to scourge him. And this is a type of whipping. Now, the, the Jews would scourge people occasionally. And they would, they would use this whip. It had a handle, and then there was a piece of leather that came out, and then you'd pull it back, and you'd, you'd throw it towards somebody, and then you'd have the impact damage, and then there'd be some abrasion damage. But the Romans, that's not good enough for them. <laughs> they took it to a whole other level. Their scourge had three straps of leather, and every three to six inches, there would be a piece of metal sharp metal or a piece of sharp bone or a weight and each piece of leather would be about three feet in length and at the very end there would be a ball or a piece of lead and the reason that they would do this and the reason that they had the lead weights is so that when they when they tossed it there would be greater impact which would create greater penetration for the pieces of metal and the pieces of bone the romans did not mess around so what was this like Imagine a piece of cheese. Imagine a cheese grater with a real fine grit. And you hold the cheese and you take the grater and you go against the cheese. So how many times did they do this? Well, the Jews actually had a law about this. With their regular whips, they could only hit somebody 39 times. Would the Romans have honored the Jewish law? We don't know. Would they have stopped at 39? Would they have gone on? It's hard to say. But it's easy to say what kind of damage this would have done with just a few hits. It's very easy to see that Jesus would have gone into hypovolemic shock 
which is the type of shock that you experience when you have blood loss. And what happens is with more and more blood loss, you have your heart beating faster and faster and faster, trying to compensate, trying to get oxygen to all the different parts of your body. And of course, with the blood loss also comes a drop in blood pressure. And this would create fainting and weakness and, and things like that. And we, we clearly see this in Mark 15, 21 and other passages as well, where Jesus can no longer carry his cross and somebody has to be brought in to carry. The uh, name of Simon comes in and carries Jesus' cross the rest of the way to Golgotha. Now, typically, we, we look at these crosses and, or we think of Jesus carrying a cross and we're looking at something like this, right? 150-pound, 200-pound cross. But the reality is, is that the word cross in the Bible is translated as cross piece. We're just talking about this piece here. That's all Jesus would have carried. And, and it wouldn't have been nearly as thick. It would have been longer, but it wouldn't have been as nearly as thick. It would have been about 30, maybe 40 pounds. Something uh, a man Jesus' age would have easily carried in his time. This is something especially at least been able to drag. But Jesus was so beat up over the scourging that he wasn't able to carry a 30 to 40 pound uh, log. And of course, without treatment, your heart is just beating faster and faster and faster and then it, it gives out. So is it a miracle that Jesus survived this? Some say yes. One other thing to consider, now remember, this is one of the first times that Satan really gets his hands on Jesus. Satan has some professional killers to work with here. Not just some high priests are gonna slap Jesus around. These are professional killers. Now, Satan knows that there's prophecies about the cross, and he would have no interest in Jesus fulfilling those prophecies. If Satan could, he would want Jesus killed right now. Make it painful, make it awful, but make it now, not later. So if Satan has anything to do with it, he wants it done now. Regardless, it would have been a horrible, horrible experience and perhaps even a miracle that he survived. So now we're on to the crucifixion. The crucifixion itself was designed not as a weapon to kill people, but it was a weapon of terror. It would have been... Uh, about this height, Jesus would have been perhaps uh, a foot, maybe foot and a half off the ground. So people could have felt very close to him and seen all the damage done to him. This would have been on a major road so people could see as they're walking by. And you know what they're thinking? I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to be a good boy and I'm not going up there. That's a motivator. That's a motivator. Nobody has ever recorded having survived a crucifixion. Well, they kind of had to make it sure that way because as, as the Romans, they wanted to make sure that their weapon of terror worked. They didn't want some guy surviving it and saying, well, you know, it really wasn't that bad. <laughs> they would have been very motivated to make sure that everybody who was being crucified was killed. As a matter of fact, the soldiers, if they did not do their job, they would have been killed. All of them involved in the process would have been killed perhaps, probably, even crucified. So, they'd be up there suffering for days. Like I said, it's a weapon of terror. And the reason that it's taking days is because it's not blood loss 
that they're dying from. It's actually a painful suffocation. Let me explain how it works. So you're nailed to the crossbeam. You lift the crossbeam up into the vertical part here. And then you're hanging there. As you're hanging there, the weight of your body is pulling you down. Each arm is being extended about three inches in this process. Okay? And by this, there's a tremendous amount of strain. And this is pulling on your chest muscles and opening up your lungs. So you're stuck in the inhale position. And you're not able to get any air out no matter how hard you try. The only way that you can do that is with your feet that are nailed below you. You push up with your feet, and then you can exhale. What's interesting to think about is that Jesus talked many times while he was on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In order for him to say that, he had to be pushing against that nail at the time. Now, obviously, we can't experience crucifixion. But there is something that we can experience, the difficulty it would have been to breathe. And, and I, I just want to do a quick demo. It's not painful, but it's a chance for you to understand just what it was like to be able to breathe. So what I'd like you to do is stand up for just a moment, and I would like you to carefully stretch out your arms. No punching your neighbor. This would not look good to Brandon. I would have a very hard time explaining this. Okay, so reach out your arms as far as you can, and then it's on a cross, so it's a little bit behind you, right? Now take a deep breath and let it out. Take another deep breath and let it out. Okay, go ahead and sit down. Do you feel that, how hard it is to inhale? Imagine doing that for hours. Now, for Jesus, it would have been just the reverse because all the pressure's on his arms. So it's pulling everything open. So for him, it's hard to exhale. For us, we can feel it just a little bit inhaling. But could you feel that? Maybe you could even start feeling it in your arms, kind of a weird sort of tingling feeling. Imagine, right? And you're just standing there. Imagine what that would have been like. And of course, finally, after Jesus had fulfilled all of his prophecies, he finally proclaims, it is finished, and he dies. But we actually have more proof of Jesus' death. We're not done just here. Perhaps this is enough for you, but I have more. You see, because when this happened, the uh, priests knew that they had a problem. You see, because it was Passover week, and the next day was the Sabbath, and they knew that nobody could be hanging up on a cross on the Sabbath because of their religious customs. So they would have gone all the way into Jerusalem, asked for an audience with Pilate, and said, Pilate, we just can't have this happen. Can you make sure that they're dead and take them down? Pilate says, agrees, says yes, sends a messenger all the way back out to Golgotha. And the soldiers are told this, and of course they agree. And so what do the soldiers do? There's two other people being crucified with Jesus at the same time. So they walk up to the two other uh, people who are being crucified and they break their legs. Why? Because they can no longer push up then. Right? And they would suffocate. But they come to Jesus and they realize that he's already dead. So they don't break his legs. But you know what? They're not going to take a chance that Jesus is still alive. 
Soldier's like, I'm not playing this game. So he takes his spear and goes into the rib. Now, he's not tickling ribs here, right? See if Jesus giggles or something? He wants a death blow. And this is a trained professional killer. Let's examine this death blow. First of all, let's take a look at the spear. A pilum is what it's called. It would have been about six and a half feet long. Okay, so here we have our example again. Six and a half feet. I, I have no trouble reaching Jesus here, right? It's very easy. I can go right through him at this point. So he would have no problem doing that. Now, this is a terrible, terrible weapon for a lot of reasons. This is an actual picture of one. But I'm going to concentrate on the head and, and just see how insidious this is. It, you can see it comes to a point, but then it, it branches out like a pyramid. Let me show you what that looks like new. Imagine what damage that would do coming into you. Now I want you to imagine something else. Not only did he put it in, he pulled it out. So it would take material with it on the way out. Now there's only one reason why he was aiming for the ribs. He was going for a critical blow. He wanted to hit the heart. Because if he hits the heart, he knows that there's no way that they're going to survive. Now, do we have evidence that he hit his mark? We actually do. We actually do. Because when you go into shock in this way from blood loss, and when you have um, uh, the um, heart failure, because your, your heart's been beating so hard, there's a, there's a reaction that happens within your body. There's a sac around your heart, and it fills with a clear fluid. There's also sacs around your lungs, and they also fill, fill up with a clear fluid. So let's see what John's description of this is. And you can see at the end here, it says that blood and water came out. Because there was water coming out of Jesus, we know exactly how he died. It was heart failure. Would they have known that back then? Not a chance. As a matter of fact, there was all sorts of different stories going around about how the water coming out was somehow related to a baptism or some other sort of nonsense or that John didn't know what he was talking about because water doesn't pour out of a human being. That's just not possible. But with modern science, we know exactly what was going on. So, did Jesus faint? <laughs> no, the water came out, right? We know because of the water that Jesus had a heart attack, right? We know that for a fact. Now, what's also interesting here is the way that John describes what happened. Now, we would say that water and blood came out because we do things chronologically. The first things first, the second thing, and then the third thing. But in Greek culture, they describe things according to volume. The greater volume is listed first, and then they continue to diminish from there. So the first thing that's listed is blood, and what's the major source of blood in your chest? This soldier knew how to do his job and got the heart because there's more blood than water coming out. So there's absolutely, I, I hope you see this, that there's absolutely no way. He had a pierced heart. He had strong evidence that there was a heart attack. And then there's the simple fact that Jesus is hanging here. Nobody's lifting him up to breathe. 
He's here for an hour, maybe more. How long does it take to walk into Jerusalem, get, a, get some time with Pontius Pilate and have somebody sent back? How long did they uh, wait just gloating at Jesus hanging there? You can't go, even if you're fainted, yes, you need less oxygen, but you can't go an hour or more without oxygen. This is why historical scholars say Jesus' birth, baptism, and death on the crucifixion are absolute certainties. The American Medical Association has also come in and said that before that spear even hit his ribs, he was dead. For sure. So we've been talking a lot about Jesus and we've been talking about a human body and, and the damage that's done to a human body. And we can confidently believe that the amount of damage done to Jesus would have absolutely killed him. But Jesus was more than human. He was also God. And in the next couple of weeks, Brandon is going to be discussing this and, and going to a lot of detail about this. But right here and now, in this passage, we have evidence of Jesus' divinity. That beating and flogging, he survived. Would a normal human being have survived? I, I can't say for sure. But the attitude that these guys had, and so many people died from flogging. This was a regular occurrence. And if you got a guy coming in with a bad attitude already, and with that particular weapon, there's a very good chance that he would have died. You also have fulfilling a prophecy. Psalm 22, written hundreds of years earlier, predicted the events on the cross before there was even a crucifixion. Nobody had even come up with the idea of a crucifixion yet. And yet he described exactly what would happen in that psalm. Jesus is able to communicate intelligently with people around him. He's making plans for his mother to be taken care of in John. In Luke 23, 34, he says, forgive the soldiers, Father, forgive them. <laughs> I'm in pain. I, I'm sick. I, you know, I, I'm not even, you know, thinking about what the family's going to be eating that night. Right? If, if somebody's causing me pain, I, I have no interest in, in their, their well-being, much less a crucifixion. And Jesus is processing through this and saying these things up on the cross. And in 43, he talks to one of the other people on the, who's being crucified and says that you also will be in paradise today with me. And Jesus, throughout his entire life, through the entire crucifixion process, he never wavers. If you're a con man, you know the gig's up when they're pulling out the nails. <laughs> you know this is going to be a painful, painful thing when they say you're going to be flogged by Romans. If you know that this is just a bunch of hooey that you've been passing off, you're going to be making the deal. All right, I'll confess. At least kill me quickly. But he never wavers. Right to the very last, it is finished. And speaking of it, it is finished. He decides when he dies. He decides when that last moment is going to be, and it's not a minute before he is ready for that to happen. He is in complete control. He does everything that is required of him. He has all the conversations that he has. And when he is done, he decides it is finished. And it is on his timetable. That is power. And it is by nothing more than his will that his life ends. And we have 
his death as well. The, the curtain in the temple, when, when Jesus died, it was a very thick curtain. If you had a baseball and you threw the baseball as hard as you can, that curtain would hardly move, it's so thick. Yet it was ripped from top to bottom. In another passage, it talks about how there was darkness over all the land. Some have interpreted this to mean the entire earth went dark. There was an earthquake just as he died. There were people who were raised out of the tombs at his resurrection. This is powerful stuff. But there's one thing left that I think is perhaps even more powerful. And we're going to go back to these Roman soldiers. Imagine if your life is to crucify people. How hard a person are you going to be? How tough are you going to be? This is the job, crucifying people. And the only fun that you have is in torturing them and messing with them beforehand. It would be pretty amazing if you could go from somebody who's that hard to even being apathetic towards Jesus, where you're just kind of neutral and you just don't care. It would be amazing if you could go from being that hard to being sympathetic, where you're taking a look at Jesus and you're saying, wow, I really feel sorry for this guy. But it is absolutely not possible to look at somebody on the cross, messed up, bleeding, just a disaster, and be in awe of them as they die. Yet that is exactly what happened. That's exactly what one of the soldiers did. And he actually said, truly, this was the Son of God. And to that I say to you, truly, this was the Son of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you.